name is Chris Garcia. And I'm Rhonda Salif. And we're, and we're Latino <laughs> Northern Colorado. Colorado. All right. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, in each of our episodes, we share fun and interesting information that highlights current or historical information about the Latino community in Colorado and across the United States. In today's Did You Know, I highlight statistics from a 2013 survey of public library usage by Hispanic Latino communities done by the Pew Research Center, Hispanic Trends. In this data, we learned that seven in 10 or 72% of Latinos ages 16 and older say that they have visited a public library or bookmobile in person at one point or another in their lives, which is a share below that of white and black communities, which are both around eight in 10 or 80 to 83% respectively. But this finding masks a large difference among Latinos. Fully around 83% of US born Latinos say they have visited a public library at some point in their lives, a share similar to that of whites and blacks. However, among immigrant Latinos, it's a smaller share, around 60%, say they have visited a public library or bookmobile in person. When it comes to public libraries, immigrant Hispanics posed both a challenge and an opportunity to the library community. On one hand, this group, which makes up about half of the adult U.S. Hispanic population, is less likely than other Americans to have ever visited a U.S. public library and is much less likely to say that they see it as very easy to do so. Um, one reason immigrant Hispanics may find the public libraries more difficult to use is their language use or skills, more than half being Spanish dominant. According to a recent Pew Research Center survey of Hispanics, um, as a result, the availability of Spanish language materials at public libraries may be the reason, though the 2013 library survey did not ask about either of those measures. All that said, Hispanics who have made their way to a public library stand out as the most appreciative of what libraries have to offer, from free books to research resources, to the fact that libraries tend to offer a quiet and safe space for their children and families, and they are more likely than other groups uh, to say that closing their community library would have a major impact on their family. I know that personally, um, and I shared this with you in, in our email exchange, Rosa, I didn't have internet access until late middle school, early high school. And so um, if we wanted to get stuff printed or just typing on a computer, we had to do that at the public library. And I used the Centennial Public Library branch um, right on 23rd. I can tell you my experience uh, was actually not too long ago where um, I had lost my job. And I was applying for everything and, you know, doing all the paperwork you have to do. And I ended up going to the library to print things and had no idea the benefits of being, you know, you're allowed so many prints with your library card and just how easy and accessible everything was. So it was just so comforting to know that I had all of this access to, to all of these things. And then thinking of other people that are in those same situations, it was like, wow, the library really is doing an amazing job. And I don't spend enough time here. I really need to, to come back and, and look at the different things that they do. And uh, yeah, it just kind of opened my eyes to how necessary in, uh, the, the library is to communities. And so my did you know is about the origin of the word library. And library is traditionally a collection of books used for reading or study or the building or room in which such a collection is kept. And the word derives from the Latin libre, uh, which means book, and whereas a Latinized Greek word would would be, uh, and I had trouble saying this, biblio, bib, bibliotheca, 
in the origin of the word for library in German, Russian, and Romance languages. So, I mean, what was kind of key to me too is there's numerous words that we talk about that are actually derived from, you know, some Latin origin. And so I just think it's always important to highlight those things because there's so many people that think that um, English is a language all on its own and it, you know, it doesn't have any kind of shared background with, you know, other different ethnicities and languages and it really does. And I look in the dictionary and there's so many words that come from Latin. So celebrate, you know, our, our contributions to our language. So, <laughs> you know, it's really cool because I didn't realize that the Greek word biblioteca or however you say that is so Thank close you. to the Spanish word biblioteca, which like, you know, a lot of folks might say libreria, but that libreria is a bookstore. Um, a biblioteca is a library. And uh, I just thought that that was really cool how closely tied the words are. Um, and like you said, they, you know, like it, it ties into like the origin of all of us, like as community um, and how we are so connected. Exactly. Well, today our special guest is Associate Director of Public Services at the High Plains Library District, Rosa Granado. Um, welcome, Rosa. We're excited to have the opportunity to host you on today's episode. Thank you. I'm excited to be here because, I mean, a blog like this is very, has a very particular audience and an audience that, of course, I love. <laughs> a long time ago, my sisters and I would joke about like starting our own blog and we joked about it for several months. And then finally, one of my sisters was like, who would even be interested in that? We're just, you know, some Chicanas from Kersey who would even want, you know, to listen to that or read it. And, um, you know, little did we realize there's a, totally an audience for it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like, what's funny is that we were looking at our um, our listenership, and we have listeners in India. We have listeners Sweet. in Central America. We have a ton of listeners in Texas for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of you is from Texas? <laughs> and, um, you know, listeners across the United States, and, and, you know, most of our listeners are in the United States, but it's just interesting to see that there are like other countries, like even Germany was represented in our liter listenership. Um, so I think that there's an audience kind of waiting and, and, and trying to hear from voices like ours. Um, so I would say start your blog, start your, um, if you want a podcast, if you want a, um, a, a vlog, if you want, um, you know, they're all opportunities. Rhonda actually tells the origin story of ours uh, really well. And so I might ask her to tell that story in a little bit, but Rosa, will you please uh, start by sharing a little bit more about yourself and your history in our community? Yeah, so... Um... I am, was born and raised in Kersey, which is just, you know, east of Greeley. My family's been here for generations. I'm like third or fourth generation in the U.S. Um, my mom grew up in the Windsor area. I mean, both my parents were born in Texas, but ended up here. My dad ended up here when he was about six, and my mom probably earlier than that. My dad ended up in Kersey um, when he was six, and my mom ended up in Windsor. And so we've been in this area, you know, forever, it seems like. <laughs> um, but I graduated from Platte Valley High School, uh, got my bachelor's at UNC in um, English secondary education, go Bears, <laughs> um, <laughs> with an emphasis in art with a minor in history. And then I taught in Weld County. My first teaching job 
well, I did my student teaching out here in Kersey. Then my first teaching job was in Eaton. Um, I taught at Eaton High School, English and journalism and things along those lines. And then um, wanted to have a more uh, diverse uh, experience in teaching. And so um, I happened to be reading a Tony Hillerman book. I don't know if you guys know Tony Hillerman. He writes mystery novels, but the main character in his books was um, two Navajo men, Jim Chi and Joe Leaphorn, if I remember correctly. And I was reading a book about the Zuni Reservation. So um, I ended up uh, interviewing for jobs in New Mexico and ended up taking a job on the Zuni Reservation, taught there for uh, several years and uh, met my husband there. We moved back to Colorado and I taught in Millican, at Millican Middle School for another four years and then finally left teaching. Uh, when I left teaching, I was um, didn't know what I was gonna do with myself. And oftentimes while I had been teaching, I had thought it would be great to be a librarian in a school because they're so important. I mean, studies show that uh, schools that have um, good, you know, teacher librarians, they excel in standardized testing. Um, and, but, you know, it's a master's degree. You need a master's degree to be a school librarian. And I never had the time when I was teaching. Teaching is so time intensive. I mean, I barely felt like I had time to raise my own kids and be a wife, let alone get a master's degree. So, I'll, you know, I was unemployed for about nine months and couldn't find a job because apparently I was overemployed to do anything with my bachelor's in teaching. Um, <laughs> and finally thought, well, I'm just going to go back to school and I'm going to get my master's degree in school librarianship. And I did that. And right when I was about time for me to graduate, uh, District 6, um, all of these Weld County schools started laying off their school librarians because they didn't have the funds to keep them on. Wow. And so... Um, you know, and you had to, like, to be a certified teacher librarian, you had to have a master's degree, and so they were typically one of the higher paid people in in schools, and so they were some of the first to let go, to be let go when budgets had to be cut, and um, so then I didn't really have a, li you know, a school library to go to, and I just got a job at Far Library um, as a page, which is entry level, you know, I checked in books, and shelved them. That's what I did. And then eventually got a job as a, an associate, a library associate in and, and outreach, where my eyes were totally opened up to the fact that, you know, I left teaching and I kind of was sad that I wouldn't be able to impact the lives of people the way you do when you teach. Um, and then I became an associate librarian, librarian in outreach. And all of a sudden, I had that same opportunity to um, impact people's lives. And I loved it. Like, I, I never knew that that was out there for me. So I just fell in love with it and librarianship in general. Eventually went back to school and got a master's in um, management, library management, and became a, first an outreach librarian and then the outreach manager. And then eventually I, I got my position now. Very cool. Mm -hmm. That is a cool story. Teacher and librarian, both really big important jobs. So let's get right into the interview, Rosa. Um, do you know when the High Plains Library District first opened? Yeah, that's kind of like a tricky question because <laughs> um, our first library in Greeley was actually the Greeley Public Library. It was formed around 1907. It actually didn't open its doors till 1909. And that was the Lincoln Park and the old Lincoln Park building, you know, the downtown one across the street from the park. And then about 1931, um, the Weld County Library began. 
they actually didn't have money. The county didn't have any money to, to fund it. So um, the uh, Greeley chapter, the American Association of University Women, they gathered $70 from their members and donated it to Weld County Library to start the Weld County Library. So um, it's kind of cool. Both those libraries weren't really public libraries, even though we call them kind of public libraries. They were what we call membership or subscription libraries. So like the Weld County Library, you actually had to pay a small fee to get your card, and that was an annual fee to use it. Um, the Weld County Library was a subscription library. Like, and so what that means is like, it was created to serve the rural schools in our communities during the depression. They had no access to books. So they created this library and the schools or the teachers would pay $1 for books for roughly 10 kids. And they would pay that for one year. And then we didn't even have, we weren't mobile then. It was housed in the basement of the Lincoln Park Library. And so the teachers would either drive into Greeley and pick up books themselves, or if they knew someone who was going down, they would say, hey, can so-and-so, you know, pick up our books and bring them to us? And the library would send the books to them. And that's how um, they functioned for many years. But then in 1985, um, a county ordinance was passed to create the Weld Library District. And um, that was basically, um, it was um, the county library and then um, Lincoln Park, or the, our member libraries, Weld County libraries and our member libraries. And the member libraries, I don't know how much you understand about them, but like that, uh, our member libraries are places like um, the Eaton Library. So the Eaton Library has its own board and is governed by its own board. It's, a, it's you know, funded through the municipality and partly through us. Um, but so it was the Wealth County Library and some member libraries around. They added carbon the Carbon um, Valley Branch. And then like in 1991, the Greeley Public Library and Wealth County decided to consolidate. And that's when they renamed um, the Greeley Public Library to the Lincoln Park Library. And then the Wealth County Library became Centennial Park Library. And shortly after that, like FAR Library opened in 2002. Um, in 2008, we changed our library from the Weld Library District to the High Plains Library District. We also opened Erie Community Library. And um, in 2013, we added Kersey as a little mini branch, a tiny, tiny little branch. Um, in 2014, we added Riverside. And that's kind of the official history. But um, what I like, would like to focus on is the history of outreach. Um, I think that is probably more relevant for the audience um, of today's session. And the reason why I say this is that libraries can be kind of political places at times. And traditional library services best serve white upper middle class citizens. Um, it's kind of like a big elephant in the room when it comes to library professionals talking about this because part of our core competencies and values as librarians center around equal access to all, but the reality is that, that really, it really doesn't often work that way. Um, and that's why outreach is so important. Outreach librarians tend to focus on, not tend to, we focus on people outside of the library, and those are our, typically our non-users. And most often than not, those are people who face barriers to service, people who can't come to the library for whatever reason, and what we call our traditionally underserved. In Greeley, our traditionally underserved has mostly been Latinos. I mean, until recent years, we've gotten a huge, you know, 
um, wave of uh, other refugees and immigrants, but for the most part, they, it, it, you know, when you think of Greeley and you think of the different populations, you know, we think of white people and then we think of Latinos. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of the work that we do with these patrons that face barriers happens through outreach. So, I mean, technically, the history of outreach started in 1931 with the Weld County Library. Um, but in 1937, somewhere between 1937 and 1940, we're not even sure because different documents say different times. But we got our first um, bookmobile, which was a converted truck that we shared with Larimer County. And that's when we finally started delivering books to those rural communities. Um, two years later, we got our own bookmobile and that kind of started what we would consider our traditional bookmobile service where um, for us here at High Plains we've delivered to schools you know and it used to be that people were comfortable going to schools and so like we'd pull up into a school in the school parking lot we serviced the um, children in the school they'd come out to the bookmobile and get their books teachers would come out and get their books but also community members felt comfortable coming onto school grounds and using the bookmobile and as you know in recent years people don't really feel welcome on school grounds and a lot of schools really are kind of locked down for security reasons and so in recent years we started trying to move away from that model um, and our brand new bookmobile which is just about a year old actually has a smaller book collection on it and we're servicing schools in a different way because we're trying to encourage our community members to come on more we now have two computer stations on there we're trying to figure out a way to get a printer on there that will uh, travel without too many problems because <laughs> some of the places we go to still are on dirt roads um, you know and it you know we still have to travel quite a ways to some of those places but here's where it gets really interesting so in 2001 Charlene Parker who is still the library the library manager at FAR she used to manage the Lincoln Park Library and she decided that we needed someone to focus on outreach so she hired Cindy Walsh I don't know if any of you have ever yeah. met her yeah, Do you know Cindy Rhonda? Yeah, I've known her for a long time. She's wonderful, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> in HPLD and in our outreach department, you know, she's our comadre. She is the godmother yeah. of outreach. Um, that woman, she is white, but she's fluent in Spanish. She, read in, she reads and writes in Spanish. And when she came on, she was hired to focus on outreach. And she immediately identified our Spanish speakers, our, Latino, our Latinos, as the highest need and a priority. And she immediately focused on them and trying to serve them. Um, in fact, Chris, she asked me, did you used to go to Meeker Elementary School? No, I went to Dos Rios. Oh, Dos Rios. She was like, I think I, I think I knew him. There was this little boy from Meeker. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so thankfully Charlene had the foresight to identify that outreach was a need in our community, and she couldn't have hired a better person than Cindy Walsh. Um, and Cindy just toiled away for many years trying to develop that outreach, and even, she's now retired, but even to this day, I get calls from people who want to talk to her when I'm out into the community. They ask me about her. They ask me what she's doing and why they haven't seen her. Yeah, you know, our Spanish-speaking patrons, she was the face of our library to them for so many years. Um, and, um, you know, it's just been incredible working with her. When I joined the outreach department, she's the one that brought me into the fold and, you know, led the way and showed me, she mentored me, continues to mentor, to mentor me now. She was just, just been amazing for our community. Um, but in 2005, Janine Reed um, 
Kindness did a very mini reorg where she took our one outreach person and joined him with the bookmobile department and called it outreach. And this was kind of the beginning of the outreach department as I knew it when I first joined. Um, but between the years of 2006 and 2010, um, Cindy just really started to build up that outreach in our, in our community. And um, she, I mean, here's an example of one, one of the things she did. <laughs> so she led a two-person team in delivering services to scene, which we call Head Starts. Um, so those services included regularly scheduled bilingual story times, in multiple sites in Greeley and surrounding rural communities, they had, had annual booths at the Head, Head Start Family Fairs. They did bilingual every child ready to read information literacy trainings for educators and for parents. They did book talks for Head Start staff. And ultimately, she wrote a grant to get one of the first American Dream Starts at Your Library grants in 2008 to create 11 tubs of adult education materials that she checked out to the Head Starts for the Head Starts to give to adults who wanted to continue their education. Um, wow. Yeah, amazing. And um, then those interactions with parents at monthly meetings about those tubs um, led to a second grant, that she, a second American Dream grant that she wrote in 2010 that began our citizenship classes here in Greeley. And as you know, our citizenship is the foundation for the work we do to serve all of our newcomers here. I mean, um, it's been one of the most successful outreach initiatives at High Plains Library District and in this area. We now partner with CBOCES, with HIPPI, with the IRC. We now have um, two full-time librarians that focus on newcomer populations only. Wow. Um, I mean, we have two incredible librarians. We have um, Christina Hernandez. She's a Greeley native. She comes from a family of migrant workers. And then we have team Tim Ruth. He's just, just this incredible young man, uh, very like promising ally and advocate for our underserved patrons here in in the Greeley area. I mean, um, they're both two amazing librarians. We have 10 amazing librarians, but those work specifically with newcomers in our area. And that was all based off of work that Cindy Welsh started. This She created this incredible foundation here. She continues to mentor all of us, you know, and I'm constantly refer, you know, referring her some of our younger librarians to her and she will take whatever time they need to help um, help you know point them in the right direction help give them tips about how to engage our community she gives resources history she's just been amazing and literally the godmother of outreach for high plains library district um, and um, she sure left us tell her I said hello oh i will i'll tell her rhonda yeah. <laughs> she's okay. been very excited I think the thing too, it's not even just about the library. I mean, she would like connect the library to other programs, to other things in the community, and then those community things to the library. I mean, she was just constantly bridging and doing partnerships and just, you know, having these cross relationships. And she was just amazing at it. She's, she's very missed, I know, in, in some of this work. And I think one of the things I loved about her is that she had no shame in the work she was doing. She did it with, you know, such vengeance and just, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it well. And, and she didn't care. She just didn't care. She knew it was the right work to do. She had a passion for it and she was just out there doing it. And so, yeah, our, our paths had crossed numerous times with me as a community activist. And then the work that she does, we intersected a lot. Yeah. I mean, she's just been such a great, like, just 
again, mentor. I mean, in our library district, you know, um, she fought the fight to get services. Like, like I can't even describe everything that she's done, but she was that voice that wouldn't stop saying, well, what about our Spanish language patrons? What about this? What about that? And she would often tell me, sometimes I just see people like kind of roll their eyes and like, oh, Cindy again. <laughs> but if it wasn't for Cindy, I don't even know where we would be right now. I mean, she was a one person army that really just, like you said, she made connections. I, like I, I could talk about what she's done for our community for our entire podcast. I mean, she's just been amazing. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the stuff that we're able to do now are dreams that her and I used to, we used to sit next to each other and just hatch these ideas. Wouldn't it be great if we could do this? Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? But there was just two, like she was the only librarian at one point and then they finally added me as a librarian and there was only two of us. Our library district serves roughly about 30% of our Weld County patrons. And that ideally, when you think about all of those 30% that come to the library, with outreach serving everyone outside of the library, then that's like roughly 70%, like, you know, wow. theoretically speaking that we're trying to serve and it was her for the longest time and then they added me and just two librarians and four LAs and then we had you know a couple of supervisors a department of like eight people to serve all of those needs and so we would constantly like have these great ideas and never time to implement them but all of that changed because in 2017 our director of the time Janine Reed she we had another reorganization and she allocated more resources that um, ultimately ended up with two more librarians and so we had a total of four outreach librarians and she took the virtual library which does services through phone chat and email and she joined them to outreach because you know it's another way that we serve people outside of the library um, she then uh, left the district and in 2018 we hired Matt Hort who's our current director only the fourth director of our um, organization and that is so important because um, it's through him that we finally, as a district, have been able to move from ideas to actual action. Under him, we added seven more outreach librarians. We added a supervisor to the virtual services department. We've added an experienced team to our department and we rebranded as MOVE. We now call ourselves MOVE. The M is for mobile, and the O is for outreach, the V is for virtual, and the E is for experience slash events. Um, and it really kind of finally encompasses all the moving parts of outreach or what true outreach librarianship should look like. Uh, it's a very innovative model in the world of librarianship. And, you know, a lot of that has happened because he's, you know, made it happen. He literally sat down with myself. I was the outreach manager at the time and the other supervisor in our department, Brittany Rains, who's also just incredible. And he said, what do you guys need? And I just couldn't believe that, like those were the first words out of his mouth. And I jumped on that opportunity and I said, I need this and I need this and I need this because this is what we were serving. This is what we're trying to do. And, you know, a lot of people ask those questions, but it's lip service, right? Just right. lip service. It was not lip service with him. He immediately jumped into action and it was only a matter of time before I literally had 11 librarians. And like, that's almost unheard of in outreach departments. Um, King County in Washington, they've always had what I would consider one of the largest outreach programs. We have more staff than they do now. Wow. And yeah, I mean, we have 
an incredible amount of people. It's still not like even what staffs an entire branch, but when I go to conferences and I talk and I present on us and I say, I have 10, 11, you know, at, that, at one time 11 outreach librarians, people's mouths drop because other departments are like one person, two person. People feel lucky if they have four people. And we have, we have like a small army now really to do to serve people and we're doing it like we've defined for us um in the profession of librarianship there's not even like a formal uh definition of outreach and so we had to define that for ourselves we defined what outreach is we defined what outreach looks like we have so many needs in our community and we can't hit them all so we decided to prioritize so we prioritize patrons that we are focusing on for right now you know and um, that is a flexible kind of adaptable thing as the needs in our community change, so will our priority populations. I mean, it really is a truly innovative model that I'm just so proud and happy to be a part of. It's exciting. Very cool. I can't believe that there's like more outreach librarians here than in like one of the largest library districts. So like, I just, Wow, I didn't know that about High Plains. <laughs> I didn't either. Well, and I think one thing that we find when it comes to this kind of work, especially with outreach, leadership really does matter. If you don't have someone who is conscious about this and deliberate about the work, then it's not going to get done. And so, I, you know, I've seen it in numerous different arenas where leadership really makes a difference. And, and if you want to have an impact, you have to, to look at how it is top down and, and just what that, that philosophy is. So. That's exciting news to hear that we have someone who is really taking that serious and just, you know, moving us to different uh, leaps and bounds compared to other libraries. So that's impressive. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> well, I think that you say it uh, really well often, Rhonda. It's about like intentionality as well. Um, and so like the intention that maybe Cindy started out with or, you know, whoever it was that hired Cindy um, and said like, this is something and the intentionality that she put behind serving Spanish speaking patrons, which I mean, at that time was like Mexicanos, right? Like Mexican yep. uh, immigrants uh, who came to this community and needed service and, and maybe didn't feel like they had the access or uh, didn't feel comfortable, um, you know? And, and I mean, even today and just like reading what I had read um, and doing that research, like I think often um, we think about things from our own lens and like I felt comfortable at the library since I was a kid but it was because my mom is from here and uh, she would take us there to get a book and things like that but it's like you don't you don't have to worry about things like status or um, maybe someone not understanding you or um, someone not having materials in your language um, and that impacts not only, you know, like Latino immigrants now or, or immigrants from Latin American countries, but now immigrants from our Burmese community or our Somali community. Um, and I think that, uh, I mean, 11 librarians doesn't sound like a lot of people to me, um, but for you to say that that's like one of the largest in the United States and like for that to be like so impactful, then I'm thinking like, wow, then that's an opportunity for us to really showcase um, the libraries as, as a place of access um, that I don't think that a lot of people, I guess, take into account often. 
Yeah, and I mean, the Pew research is great and they're very accurate, but what it doesn't take into account is, you know, it asks how many times have entered a, people entered a library. And what we don't realize is often that's one time in their lifetime, two times, 10 times, not once a week, twice a week, once a month. Like the frequency, a lot of people come to the library, get their card and really don't find what they're looking for there, you know, and then they just don't come back. And we have. Well, um, that actually ties in really well with our next question, um, which has to do with COVID-19 and how this pandemic has impacted the work of the library and the access that our community has to High Plains locations. Um, you know, as the second wave is looming and I mean, really impacting our communities now with the governor, you know, moving us into a, a code red, I guess, um, you know, what is the library doing to support and continue supporting that access um, while keeping communities safe? So, well, as you know, when the first wave hit, we closed up our libraries and we moved to all virtual programming. Um, the state listed, you know, gave out their list of critical um, services or any essential services and libraries weren't on the list at all. So it was kind of hard for us to justify keeping our libraries open, you know, um, and we had concerns about keeping patrons safe. Um, at that point, we didn't know, like, um, could the virus be transmitted through materials? Would we j basically be handing out the, you know, the virus to people as we gave materials? So we closed our libraries and we moved to virtual services, but we did some really great things there too. I mean, Tim, the gentleman I was talking about earlier, uh, everyone calls him Mr. Tim. He started Bilingual Storytimes online, Facebook Live, had the most incredible story times going. We had a whole host of people offering programming. We have a librarian at Centennial Park and um, he creates these incredible YouTube videos that he was putting online that libraries in a library in New York was, um, you know, putting on their uh, website and getting hits wow. off of. Yeah, like wow. we have some really incredible stuff happening. Um, that gentleman's Jeremy and Moyer, and he um, started off working for us in virtual in the virtual services and is now a librarian at Centennial Park, just an incredible librarian. And so we had a, a whole host of online programming. Um, and then as soon as we could, we started with curbside. Um, and started allowing people back in the library. Um, this time around, uh, the state has actually identified us as a critical service. And so we now have more um, latitude to, to serve our community. So right now we are doing curbside um, services and virtual services. Again, our, we'll be starting up at the same rate as they were before. But the thing we're gonna be able to do this time now is um, we're going to be providing uh, limited access to computers and printing because people still need that stuff as you touched on Rhonda like they're you know record numbers of people doing looking for jobs right now and so our libraries our library managers identified the need and they said you know we want to still offer even if it's limited we want to offer computers and printing services and so our ITI department is trying to figure out what the logistics of that what that looks like you know how we can set it up in a safe way we have our facilities department on it um, I mean it's just a great organization to work from our, our facilities department uh, changed our HVAC system to better clean the air um, to help you know lower the transmission um, they're the ones who set us up with all of the, you know, safe 
the PPE equipment and everything we needed. Um, so this time around, we're going to be doing curbside with limited computer usage. And we don't have the computers up and going yet, but they're definitely in the works and coming. And, you know, Rosa, our, our program is really about that engagement and service. Um, that's kind of what we talk about in different realms, whether it's, you know, education or, you know, traditions and celebrations, all of those kinds of things. Um, how can somebody volunteer for the High Plains Library? Well, it's actually pretty easy. We take volunteers. We need a lot of volunteers. And so you just, um, you know, can ask at any of the libraries about what they need. I mean, we haven't been ha using a lot of volunteers lately in 2020 because it's been, of course, a weird year. But, you know, uh, we have high school students work with us. We have seniors. We have all kinds of people who volunteer. But I think probably one of the best way people like Chris and yourself could help High Plains Library <laughs> is we do have a board. Um, and there are often openings on the board. Right now, the makeup of our board doesn't truly reflect Weld County in ethnic, cultural, class, or even age, you know, as far as represent, representation goes. Um, we do have a really good representation of women right now on the board, which is nice. Um, but I would really highly recommend and encourage both of you to consider applying to be on the board. So we have, I believe, seven positions, and each member represents a different region of Weld County. So we just filled two of those spots this year. Uh, next fall, we'll open up a position for to represent Kersey, Grover, and the new Raymer, Briggsdale kind of area. Um, and then in the fall of 2022, we'll open up the Greeley, Evans, and Garden City region. And then the, the fall after that will be the, yeah, that's you guys, <laughs> the at-large position, which could also be another Greeley person. So, so I, I did give a name for somebody to, and they did apply. Uh, he was actually a really good candidate, I thought, because he lived in Eaton, Latino, uh, had a lot of experience in working with kiddos that have been underserved or in situations because of abuse and neglect. And so I just felt like he had a really good background, but unfortunately he wasn't picked. Um, so we'll keep trying, right, Chris? Yes. And Rosa, I guess, can you share a little bit about that? Like how, um, we, we talked a little bit about this last time about like this, um, I guess, old guard that we see in many of our institutions like, what is High Plains doing, um, I guess, leadership level, whether that's Matt Hort or um, you in your position or, you know, like, I guess the library as a whole to really say, like, this is, this is who we were, right? Um, mm -hmm. This is who we can be. Um, you know, how are you, how are you moving the library into this next generation, um, knowing that, like, there are opportunities for, um, I guess, folks like me, folks like Rhonda, um, folks like uh, the gentleman that she um, suggested join the board um, to, to really kind of take on an opportunity like this. Well, I was actually very disheartened when um, the, the gentleman you guys recommended did not get a position. Um, and, you know, it's hard, <laughs> but Cindy Welsh um, <laughs> reminded me like we at least had him apply. In the past, we have like tried to recruit people, tried to get the word out, and then not even have any Latinos apply at all. 
And so, I mean, just the fact that he even applied and, and was interviewed was a step in the right direction. It's not far enough. It's not fast enough, right? Those things never are for us. Um, but um, definitely, I was so excited that he was there. And, you know, I had this moment of hope that, you know, we would have somebody who looked different on our board. And it's not that we haven't had those people in the past, but there's definitely an old guard. And the way our board is made up, you know, we're not the people who choose them. And so um, this last time around, we've had a whole group of people identify that same thing, Chris, like how do we change this process? How do we make it more equal and equitable across the board? And, you know, we're brainstorming ideas and trying to find a way to make that, make that happen. Well, um, can you share a little bit, because you invited me to this training um, the, the training around like uh, taking action around equity and inclusion. What has the library taken from that? I mean, uh, what was the, the organization again? Is that Harwood. the Har Harwood Institute, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And the Harwood Institution, they do community engagement, right? And um, they're known, they have a reputation. And in particular in libraries, um, we've adopted their methods. And it's this really cool um, kind of way to ask people what they want for their community. I, I hope you enjoyed that, Chris. Because um, they, I mean, Richard Harwood, he's the gentleman who runs the whole thing and he's just very um, inspirational. But um, one of the things in particular that has kind of come out of that um, is one of the other participants that we um, invited. I don't know if you guys know Emma Pena. Yeah. From, Yes. So she has an excellent suggestion that we're actually looking at working on, um, a suggestion of taking that book and um, turning it into a, like a book club that we can ask people who are in the session to take out into the communities and start running. You know, um, it's really a community initiative. I, like what I would love is to invite the Harwood <laughs> organization out here to really work within our community and they do that we just can't afford that for that to happen and so um you know her idea is like let's do this grassroots idea based on what they are about and they truly are about like he has this saying about looking outward like true service is not about looking inward but it's about looking outward in our communities ident identifying what the need is and basically just tackling it i needed that session chris you don't know how bad i needed it that day you know like they gave us the four mantra mantras at the end and one of them was start little to get big or something along those lines and it just made me think oh because i'm really one of those people that goes well we're not doing enough right like, it's not enough. <laughs> we need this and we need this and we need this. It's not enough. And I sometimes tend to, you know, get caught in this little cycle of, of negativity because we're not moving at the pace I want us to move at. Um, and that day after we got done with that Harwood session, he, I opened up the email with the mantras and I saw that, you know, start little to go big. And then I just, you know, again, got on the phone with my favorite comadre, Cindy, and <laughs> was telling her about how I was feeling. And she was like, Rosa, look at everything we've been able to do. You know, and literally we've done this in three years. We started in 2017 and in three years we've been able to grow this incredible department and really get the ball rolling in a great direction. And I have to stop at times and remind myself, like, we've done a lot of work, you know. Um, 
sometimes it doesn't feel like it's enough, but it is. And another thing, we've started an EDI committee task force at Highlands. I mean, there's all kinds of tenants in librarianship, um, you know, but one of them really is, is like your collection, your library collection should reflect your community. And, you know, ours does to a certain extent, but not as, as much as it could and not as well as it could. You know, our professionals, our library professionals should also reflect our community. We definitely do not do that. I mean, we have a handful of Spanish speakers where you can literally count them in two hands, you know, and it's not acceptable. But there's, as you said, there's this old guard, there's, you know, systemic, there's systems in place to keep that status quo the way it is. One of those is, is like, you know, you can't be a librarian without your MLS degree. That's a master's degree, you know, and it's hard work to get those. And it's not like people can't do the hard work, but it's that funding, you know, it's having the money to get your master's degree and then get your foot in the door. And so our EDI task force, task force, which I am leading is about identifying those systems within our organization that are not allowing us to move at the pace we need to move in order to become a more inclusive library. And so um, we, I have charged us with one year to look at our systems, look at our policies, look at everything that we have in place and make recommendations to our board about what needs, what change needs to occur in order to make High Plains the place it needs to be. So we actually had our first meeting uh, last week and um, you know, got a great group of people who are on board and committed to making change. Well, I'm hoping too, with, you know, all the stuff that has happened around the nation that, you know, not just the library, but, you know, I know our school district is doing the same thing. I've just really taken a pulse at what we do, how we do. And when you say access, does that really mean access? And really, you know, diving deep into who we hire, uh, what our discussions are, you know, how are we promoting, you know, making sure that we reflect our community. So I'm really hoping that there's a lot of different entities, whether it's, you know, the, the cities, uh, municipalities, uh, you know, our colleges, all of those different elements. I think colleges tend to do a, a better job just because there's always so much diversity there. And I think that, you know, they see that challenge and, and they're constantly reevaluating re that. I just don't see that as much in, in other entities, kind of what you were talking about, where an old guard is pretty comfortable and, you know, they don't necessarily think they need to have those conversations. But again, you know, it takes all of us to keep pushing and pushing and telling them, oh yeah, you do. And, you know, especially looking at what's happening across the nation, you know, we, and we all can do a little of that, even just even within ourselves. Chris and I kind of, kind of talk about, you know, us not being the voice of Latinos because we recognize that there's so, so many different ones and different, you know, backgrounds and different cultures and different, you know, traditions. And it kind of depends on how many generations you've been in and, you know, just kind of with that challenge of holding on to where you come from and, you know, where you are and how you morph that and what your identity is going to be. And I think it tends to be different for lots of different people. And even how we refer to ourselves, what we call ourselves, those things, you know, those conversations kind of tend to be a little, you know, argumentative, which, you know, I think whatever you feel comfortable in identifying that, that should be okay. But I think even within our culture, we need to have those conversations of, you know, I'm Latino, but there's some Latinos that don't feel comfortable with newly arrived Latinos, like there's some kind of difference. Um, and, and so I think, you know, those, those are some inner conversations that, 
we need to have and, and we don't have them, unfortunately. But, um, you know, Chris and I are going to start that conversation, right, Chris? <laughs> they are they are hard conversations like I just remember being in college and identifying as Chicana my dad asking me why <laughs> you know and <laughs> me trying to explain to him why I felt like that described who I am who I am and then you know recently we had that listening session and so our translation team was like do we say Latino? Do we say Latino, Latina, Latinx? What do we say? You know, and we're trying to, like, we had to create a standard for our translation team. You know, Amy put in the PO, the publicity request, and she said Latinx, and then the translation team came back and said, maybe Latinx isn't the best word for that because, you know, it's, you know, that's very specific to a very young population. And so I'm talking to my dad about this and he's like, what is Latinx? And so I explained to him, you know, <laughs> and he's like, well, it shouldn't matter, right? You should be able to say you're Latino or Latina. And I said, except someone who's, gen you know, a gender neutral term is important, dad. And he sat there for a little bit. He's 67, 65 years old. And he was like, he sat there for about 30 seconds and you could just see the wheels turning. And finally, he's like, you're right. That would be important. You know, you know, I know at, folks oh. younger or older than 35 that struggle with that term. You know what I mean? Yep. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think what's funny also is that you look at Spanish-speaking communities and many of them actually don't associate with that term because of how it messes with um, language, right? And actually, mm -hmm. one of the new terms, and I don't even know if either of you know this, but the new term in, in Mexico and other Latin American countries that is gender neutral is Latine with an E at the end. Um, and the reason why is because the E, like dile, um, those types of oh, yeah. words are already gender neutral in a gendered language. And so using an E instead of an X doesn't, doesn't mess with a, I guess, gendered language um, and allows like terms and vowels that are already in that language to be utilized um, in the ways that, I guess, to, to describe gender, um, non-gender binary people. It's more natural mm -hmm. than Latinx, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, but I was like so proud of my dad because like, you know, in 1992, I never would have thought he'd get there so quickly, <laughs> <laughs> but he did. <laughs> oh, dad, bro. Yep. <laughs> I think that's what's cool is that we're able to have these conversations with our parents, right? Like. Um, even the conversation around like um, skin color and having that with parents who grew up watching novelas and you know like and and looking at novelas today and being like those are white people like those <laughs> 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 they're fully white <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you know like this idea just I mean all of these ideas and around you know racial social um, justice and and around like having the conversations in your family about what is okay and what is not okay and why isn't it okay and I think that people are getting more and more comfortable with having those conversations and um and really kind of understanding people who identify differently um who feel differently who have different you know like experiences um and and hopefully that all continues right yeah those are so important those conversations but like like Rhonda alluded to they're so difficult to have and we're not like we're not as a society trained to have those discussions you know 
But I would like to say, <laughs> you know, like one of the things I committed to as an outreach manager is diversifying my department, right? So um, when I hired all those librarians, you know, I was trying to hire people um, that would better reflect our community. So we have, you know, I hired this dynamic duo of sisters, Carolyn Velasquez and Amy Ortiz. I mean, I know you know them, Chris. They're amazing. And Carolyn is um, starting a program. Let's talk about race. It's probably not going to end up with that same name. But it's going to be a little bit different. And I know you had a good role to play in all of that. But, you know, we get a little resistance because, you know, it's talking about, you know, race. And um, the thing I keep telling Carolyn, anyone who will listen is, it's important to have these conversations with children because they are difficult conversations, but they're so difficult because we never learned how to have them. Mm -hmm. If we teach our children now how to talk about these things in an open manner, one where we can all agree to disagree and respect each other's opinions and ideas and differences, then you know what? They're going to be 20 some year olds at some point and they're not going to balk at having this discussion these discussions because we will already have taught them how right. you know and and once we get to that point Please. then you know just imagine what we are able to do when we have all of these open-minded little minds out there just you know willing to see people as they are and you know and I'll and share that it's happening already like it's happening already because you look at you look at um companies changing their stances right because the corporate social responsibility around people's dollar right um you look at a company like nike and the stance that they took around colin kaepernick and then you look at the shoe that colin kaepernick drops this year and it sells out in less than 24 hours and so people are taking notice of ideas like this and they're saying like not only am i going to put my um my my voice towards that not only am i going to support it not only am i going to share it on my social media but i'm going to put my dollar to that as well and and you know it's not just companies it's institutions um unc is looking at the opportunity of becoming a hispanic serving institution over the next five years um we already have a 24 percent hispanic latino population and when you look at the schools in our district right Rhonda? <laughs> i mean right? 60 plus percent 60 plus percent and so as we look at how are we serving um, not only Latino students, but all of our students better by focusing on um, engaging target populations, then, um, then for me, it makes sense, right? But also like, um, how, how does that then help students find a sense of belonging across campus, right? Like they, they, they don't need a special, um, they don't need to find those people that they feel will make them comfortable, they, like the entire campus is welcoming to all of our students. The entire campus, our faculty members, they feel more comfortable saying, you know what, as a student of color or as a white student, I have three jobs because my parents lost their jobs in the pandemic and I can't make this final this, this semester. Like, is there any way that I can change it because it, it impacts my job? Like, those are things that our faculty member are gonna be better able to identify and better able to like handle, right? Um, and, and so for me, it's exciting um, to see change like this. And um, I hope that it actually happens because that would be really cool. Um. <laughs> well, and you know, part, part of the conversation that we've had, you know, I would say probably over the last 20, 20 years of activist work that I've been doing 
is really, really changing that conversation around assimilation and actually really pushing acculturation because you don't want assimilation. And I think that's kind of where a lot of those identity crises happen for kiddos of color is because they feel like they have to be this, where really, no, you get to choose what you hold on to and then what you're in right now and how do those meet. And I think that's a really tough conversation for kids. And it's a lot of pressure, like they have to be a certain thing in a box. And so hopefully, you know, we, we continue to have that conversation and educate, uh, especially, you know, Caucasians that it's really not about assimilation. I mean, the, the restaurants and the different things that we have in our communities are because of, of acculturation. And, and that's really what we need to celebrate and push. Yes, Amen. most definitely. Uh, Rosa, what are some of the library programs and resources promoted specifically to the Hispanic Latino community um, that you might want to highlight on today's podcast? Um, well, every year we have a what, beautiful Dia de los Muertos display that goes up at Centennial Park with a lot of activities and programming. This year, we had these um, huge nichos that were created by an artist in Los Angeles. Um, they were bought by the Denver Botanical Gardens, and we were part of um, this tour in northern Colorado. They had them spaced out all over the place. And um, we invited the community to either make nichos or bring in nichos to display throughout, you know, um, throughout Dia de los Muertos. They, and Centennial Park always does the most beautiful display and ofrenda. They didn't do the ofrenda this year because of COVID stuff, but we did the nicho instead and it was beautiful. Um, you know, so they always work very hard on that. But in particular, Amy Ortiz, who I talked about earlier, she's um, been working really hard. We developed a task force to address some of the issues, to, well, just to help with pandemic recovery in our area. And this task force identified a group, of course, we can't do it all. So they identified a group that they wanted to speak to, and they decided that they wanted to focus on Latino business owners. And so um, Amy hosted that listening session um, on the 12th of November, and it was an incredible success. Um, I mean, we canvassed Greeley. There were about probably eight of us handing out flyers to different places. I was so happy. I mean, back in the day, it used to be me or Cindy by ourselves. And this time I'm walking down Ninth Avenue or Ninth Street, you know, walking into all these little businesses and I get to a certain point and people are like, oh, I already got one, you know, and someone else had already hit them first. So it was really nice to just see all our librarians out there really, you know, hitting the community. We got a pretty good turnout for library, like we had about 15 people, which in the library world is good for a program, you know, especially an online program. Um, especially for business owners because they have so many other, like, duties. <laughs> yes, yes. So it was great. And, you know, the best thing about it is, is, you know, Amy was a great facilitator. And one of our biggest takeaways was a suggestion by one of the patrons. And their suggestion was, you know, organizations do this all the time where they have a listening session or they come out and they ask, hey, uh, what can we do for you? And then that's it you know, crickets after that. We don't hear from them again. And, you know, she's like, what I would really like to see High Plains do is keep this going. So we're already talking about making the, the session an annual session every year, hitting up our community, asking them what they need, you know, and I just thought, imagine how wonderful if we can have an annual session with Latino business, business owners every year. And then, you know, the committee is getting ready to gear up to take some of their suggestions and make them happen. I mean, we 
add in an, another incredible uh, suggestion to create a business mentorship where we take, you know, seasoned business professionals and pair them up with new business owners and allow them to mentor one another and help them through some of those rough times. So they had some amazing suggestions and amazing ideas and we're excited about it. So I'm excited about that, you know, um, moving through there and getting that going. Very cool. You can have your own little business mini high plains chamber. I know that yeah, would be great, for right? People of color. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So Rosa, you've talked about a lot of different programs and you know, you're so passionate about them all. Do you have a favorite? Well, one of the things that I wanted, I mean, again, this like grew out of a discussion Cindy Welsh and I had when we were, um, we created this offsite library, lending library at the IRC um, back in like 2016 or something. And we were talking about how incredible would it be if we could have like an early literacy fair for our newcomers. And mm. we started ta started thinking about it and, you know, the logistics of that. And her and I are both working, you know, more than we should every week. And then we hired Christina. <laughs> and um, Christina, in one of our first meetings together, she said, Rosa, do you have a dream program or something you'd like to do? And so I tell her about this early literacy fair. And that woman has made it happen. We've done three in a row. They're huge. We partner with Hippie, CBOCES, the IRC, and they get all of these volunteers to translate and interpret in all these different languages. And the first one, when I went and I saw them doing a story time that was translated into Burmese, French, Somali and Spanish all at one time like I was wow. it was my dream come true only on steroids like you know as a I never would have been able to make that happen with the resources we had before so I love that newcomers early literacy fair and she has grown it to the point where we're now partnering with a Union Colony Elementary over there in the old State Farm area and you know we're right there in their neighborhood hitting you know the people we want to hit with those early literacy skills, which guarantee success in school. I mean, they just set up children to be successful and to attain better grades and just to, you know, just be more empowered through their own education. And so, you know, and with those groups too, it's not just about early literacy, but also adult literacy. So, I mean, that's one of my favorites. So, um, You've shared a few of your partner organizations a few times, um, but you've shared their acronyms only. And just <laughs> for those of us um, who may be listening and may not know all of these acronyms, like uh, CBOCES or Hippie or IRC, or maybe another one that I missed, um, can you just share who, like, what, who those partners are um, and, and kind of like how the High Plains is like connecting with them? Oh my gosh. So the easy one is the IRC, right? That's the Immigrant and Refugee Center of um, Northern Colorado. And so they do um, um, adult education. And so we partner with them to um, provide citizenship classes and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, Lisa Taylor, she is the executive director there and she has been incredible. She has shared, I mean, like, you know, Tim Ruth, who I mentioned before, he used to work there and um, we were able to 
you know, steal him from her. <laughs> and um, some incredible things like that. Hippie is actually something that um, Hillary Clinton started um, in Arkansas back in the day. And it is, um, let me see if I can remember the, it is home, home, I don't even remember, Chris. You put me on the spot. I don't remember. What but you know what they do? <laughs> they are an organization that also focuses on early literacy. And what's incredible here in, in Colorado, it's run out of North Range or in Northern Colorado in our in Weld County and run out of North Range. And what they do is they partner or they create um, like kits that they take into people's homes and they teach parents how to teach their children early literacy skills. So for example, they'll take them a kit that they use for one month and they will walk through the, all the items in there. They will teach parents like activities they can do with their children. And um, you know, they basically guide the parent so that the parent can teach their children or the, the early, literacy skills, early literacy skills that they will need to be successful in school and they do it with people with um people that you know are from those cultures so we get women who speak burmese and who are burmese and they go into these homes where you know burmese is the first language and they teach them in their first language and so wow. you know they'll do that and um juanita puga she's the one who runs that and she shares her people with us all the time so when i say we get all these volunteers we get volunteers from the irc who are you know speaking all these languages and then we get people from hippie because we don't have like we don't have anyone who speaks somali we don't have anyone who speaks burmese or french or any of those languages we can do english and we can do spanish and that's it but as you know the really population is much bigger than english and spanish now and so we partner with these different places and then of course cbosis they do early literacy stuff here and the woman who's running that is Araceli Calderon you guys probably know her oh yeah you know that's Araceli and so we partner with her to also do those things too her and Gloria Galindo who's you know someone who works for her she I mean huge incredible resources that help us get into the communities right those they're the bridges like we we use them to help us get our foot in the door and so that's one of the most successful ways we've had um to get out into the community like these people are so embedded in our community and the community trusts them and so um you know if we can't get there and we can't make those connections ourselves we find where those connections already are and we utilize them to you know funnel more resources out into the community um i just want to say i apologize for like <laughs> <laughs> that's okay but also i i googled it and hippie stands for the home instruction program for preschool youngsters yes yes i couldn't remember i knew he was looking it up i knew it <laughs> i could not remember but yeah i mean just some incredible people that we work with that's kind of a fun name to say too, hippie yeah it really is <laughs> And this partnership that we have with Hippie, that was the first partnership that Christina made to, to create bilingual or multilingual story times. Um, it's also like we've presented on that before at um, ABOS, which is the Association of Bookmobile and Outreach Services, Chris. <laughs> and um, we've presented on that program there and again, blow people out of the water with, you know, the idea how we made that happen and how we made that work. Because a, a lot of places want to serve these communities. They just don't know how you know and right. we don't know how either so we just go to the expert those communities and we you know ask them what can we do for you <laughs> well 
as someone who grew up using the library uh, for school and even during college um, and, you know, like um, just really kind of took advantage of the services and opportunities that there were there, whether that was like quiet time away from folks or computers and printing. Um, how is the library supporting educational access um, for needing families during these times? Again, we don't do as much as we want to do, you know. Um, during the first wave of COVID, we were actually able to provide computers and Wi-Fi to several different organizations. One of them was the Cold Weather Shelter, which, you know, isn't families, um, but, um, you know, allowing people experiencing homelessness to connect with their families, very important. Yeah. So we were able to give them some computers um, to allow them to um, connect. We also, um, we're able to lend computers and Wi-Fi to the Greeley Personal Isolation Facility. But then we also worked with Employment Services of Weld County for young people who were working on their GEDs and couldn't go in and use the computer lab again. So we were able to give them laptops um, so that they could work on getting their GEDs. During this time, our foundation, which does all our grant writing for us now, um, they um, ha saw some opportunities, asked us what we needed. We told them we needed internet in their communities for those families that didn't have Wi-Fi access. And so using some grants, we bought two what, what we call Wi-Fi access points, and we have placed them out into the community. So the first one is at um, Pine Meadows, which is in, near Billy Martinez. And it is there in the uh, apartment complex, so free Wi-Fi. Um, that wow. people can hook up to. The other one is at uh, Via Conchita, which is on 29th Street Road there across from Union, Union Colony. And so um, we have four more ordered that we're gonna place out to the community as soon as we can. Bravo. Mm -hmm. And you know, that was of course wow. huge work. We worked with District 6. Um, they helped us identify um, which of their students weren't, didn't have access and those pockets and neighborhoods where they could be used the most. And then, you know, we have them now and it's just a matter of getting them out into the community. Very cool. That's Bravo. exciting. So is there anything else that you'd like to share with us about High Plains Library District that maybe we haven't discussed yet? Um, there's so much, Rhonda. <laughs> I think oh, yeah. we can bring you back. <laughs> I think the last thing I would love, I just want to do is remind people that we are here, you know, and our existence depends on serving you all, serving our patrons. And that's what we want to do. We are service professionals. We want to serve our patrons. We want to help them get the resources access what they need and so just i mean that's my big thing is reminding people that the library exists for you so come in use us access your free free services because it is free at the library so you can come in yay well rosa uh, i would like to thank you for joining us on this episode of latino northern colorado we Truly, truly, truly appreciate your time and the opportunity to engage with you as such a vital resource in our community that the High Plains Library is. And um, just thanks. Thank you for your passion on, on you know, library and outreach and just making sure that access is, is really talked about and really solved, you know, that you keep, keep coming up with ideas. Thank you for, for doing that. And, you know, I, I'm sure with Cindy as your mentor, I, you know, I wouldn't expect anything else. So 
<laughs> you guys need to invite her. She just, yes. <laughs> you know, she's amazing. But I thank you guys for allowing me this opportunity. Um, you know, I love to advocate for, advocate for the library and for outreach services whenever I get an opportunity. So thank you. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back. There's still more to talk about. Yes, I would love it. <laughs> so follow our social media for additional updates and upcoming episodes. Uh, we're always looking for new ideas. So, you know, reach out and let us know what you want us to talk about. And if there's anyone that you would like us to talk to, we'd love to have them on our podcast. And hopefully we'll be able to do this in person sometime soon. But I'm glad that we're staying safe and connected, uh, although virtually. Um, and I want to thank everyone again for listening. Um, as always, we invite you to join our conversation. Let's connect online or in person. And thanks again so much, Rosa. We truly appreciated having you on here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye.